Hey guys, Texas Slim here. Uh, this is after Thanksgiving weekend. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving holiday. I hope you were able to be with family and friends. Uh, I'm in West Texas. Imagine that, Texas Slim in West Texas. But what I am in is in a shop. Uh, and we're going to do this recording today because I wanted to come back to the shop where I've been working out of most of my adult life. And the story that you're going to see today, uh, a young man named Kel, he woke up one day and all of a sudden paralyzation happened in his life. He woke up, he wasn't quite paralyzed, but it was going really close and something was happening. He had a shock to the system. Uh, he was 15 years old. And um, the story that he had to go through, the, the challenges, the mental capacity, the mental maturity, the emotional maturity that uh, Kel has represented in his life ever since he was 15 years old, the strength of his uh, family, I would say something, you know, it's almost like looking at metal and uh, having the mentality to have your mind shape metal. Well, Kel, his mind has basically led him to here. I hope you enjoy the story. And especially remember, we are always going to emphasize, let's go save 100,000 lives this year. Let's get 100,000 people into the Substack. Let's get 100,000 people watching these podcasts. It's up to you. Uh, you are the marketing plan because what you do is you spread the word. We love you. Much grace. I am Texas Slim. This is Kel. Hey guys, here we are. You had that introduction and, and here I am with Kel. Uh, this is I Am Texas Slim, of course. And on this journey, what I've been able to do is a lot of people are coming into the Beef Initiative. A lot of people are reaching out through social media, through emails, through the Substack, through our podcast. And I was really, really fortunate. Uh, Sean saw a tweet that this young man, his name is Kel, he's with us today. I'll give you an introduction in a second, Kel, but I wanted to let everybody know that this, uh, this story is fascinating and how similar it was to mine in so many different ways. And, you know, that, that brings a lot of curiosity to, to people's life and death journeys. And a lot of people out there, you know, that never get to, I always look at my journey to where I am now as fascinatingly, it's an opportunity. It was a blessing. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start the show off there. And then what we're going to do is we're going to kind of let you introduce yourself, where you're from, and then kind of, you know, how did you get where you were? Let's do an outline. And, you know, this is about, uh, this is about life and death. This is yep. about food intelligence. This is about intentional living. This is about making decisions. And this is about getting devastation maybe thrown upon you. And what do you do with it? So right. take it away, Kel. Good to have you here, brother. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Thanks, Slim. You bet. So my name is Kale. I was born just before the beginning of, of the century. Uh, I'm from Iowa in a, in a town called Davenport, Iowa. It's about the third or fourth largest city in, in the state. It, it's, it's settled on the Mississippi River uh, and is, you know, it, it neighbors three other towns that together comprise the Quad Cities, which is a, a place of about 200,000 people. I've lived here my entire life uh, before going to college. Um, growing up, uh, I 
had two identities comp- comprised of my academics as well as my athletics. So my, my parents really pushed the academic side and I really pushed the athletic side. And I wasn't, you know, the greatest athlete, but I did work incredibly hard. Uh, and about, you know, my, when I was 15, the summer after my freshman year of high school, I was pushing really, really hard where I was involved in cross country. I would run several miles a day. I was doing weightlifting. I was also doing uh, open gym basketball practices and stuff like that. So my entire day was comprised of athletics and always moving. And then one day in June, I woke up in the morning and I had incredibly tingly fingers and sore back. uh, And I couldn't even lift my arms above my head. And I was like, that's strange. Maybe I, you know, I pushed it a little too hard the day before. Maybe I had, you know, maybe I'd done a weird lift and I'd pinched a nerve. So I took the day off, which was, I'd never done before. I didn't like doing that. You know, I, I wasn't a fan of rest, which looking back was probably a mistake. My mom took me to the pediatricians that afternoon. The pediatrician took an x-ray. He said, nothing's, nothing's going on here. Um, sent me home. He's like, take this ibuprofen. And that was the end of that day. I woke up the next day, same symptoms. I was like, all right, this is starting to get annoying. I need to get back to work. Later that afternoon, um, my symptoms really started progressing where I was, I was sitting on the couch and I felt something wrong and it was an internal gut feeling. And I stood up and the tingling intensified the weakness in my back and shoulders intensified. It could no longer lift my arms at all. I called my mom home. I was like, you need to come home uh, and help me out here. She works 20 minutes away. She came home. And by the time she got home, I was, I was crying. I was incredibly upset because I could tell something was wrong. She sat me down on the couch and she's like, let me rub this biofreeze on your neck. Let's calm you down. You're really hot. She sat me down on the couch, rubbed the biofreeze. She called a therapist to see if they could get me in that day. They couldn't. You know, after that 15, 20 minutes, I was still crying. I was still really upset. She said, Kale, let's try to stand up and work this out. And I couldn't stand up. So she tried to pull me up. She's like, come on, Kale. And she's starting to get upset, starting to cry. Come on, Kale, let's, let's stand up. And I couldn't stand up at all. So she called my dad home. He works, you know, 15, 20 minutes away. I'm, you know, I'm still crying, kind of rocking back and forth. And he gets home and they're like, we're going to, we're going to go to the little hospital here. They have to carry me to the car and we get in the car, we get to the hospital. Um, everything's 15, 20 minutes away here. That's just sure. how it is. So we get to the hospital and the nurse, you know, she comes out, she's not used to any, you know, traumatic episodes slowly pushing the wheelchair like hey is everything okay over there are you guys doing all right meanwhile i cannot move anything below my shoulders at all okay um, let's start right let's stop right there Kel. yeah you brought up some things that i want i want to highlight real quick okay yeah and it's kind of it refers to go-to's i call them go-to's so here what what age were you at that time exactly i was 15 Okay, what did you know about uh, if anything was wrong for you as being a teenager? What what was your protocol? What was it? You know, you tell your parents, of course. 
Yep. But you as an individual, how much did you know about nutrition at that time when you were 15? And what did you think about what gave you, let's say, pain relief? What was it? I mean, what did you know as a young man in this country? I knew nothing about nutrition. I trusted my parents. I believe they had my best interests when it came to food. I knew that I shouldn't be eating fast food. Um, but, you know, I, I, would, I was okay going to a restaurant. I thought the supermarket was okay. I could pick up a rotisserie chicken or I could pick up some ground beef and, you know, something from the cereal aisle. I ate cereal every single morning, you know, (laughs) standard American diet. That's, that's what I was raised on. And from a pain management perspective, you know, I would just take ibuprofen if anything was wrong. But, uh, you know, I've always been kind of skeptical of, you know, medicine and pills. So. I never that's took good. Those. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. My son's the same way. I mean, which is fantastic. Yeah. You know, and uh, so you were in a pretty good place. I mean, you're, you're, you know, every teenager is going to eat 15 quarter pounders if you can, you know, especially when you're running, when you're doing everything. You had a lot of pains, you know, cross country, you had a lot of body soreness. And so you pretty much kind of knew how to take care of yourself naturally with the intelligence that you had, your parents, you know, wisdom that you relied on. And basically a society that we know likes to push a lot of different things for, you know, certain reasons. We'll just put it that way. So whenever you got this, because if you really, you said my gut told me something, gut instinct. A lot of people don't know what that feels like whenever you get to a danger zone, the instinctual things that you feel whenever something's really wrong with yourself. Yeah. You know, and I fought that crap my whole life, you know, and, you know, I've broken bones. I've got over 20 of them. I broke out 14 pieces of metal. You know, I've, I've gone there through that pain threshold things that, you know, you can say, hey, I'm tough. But one time I had that and I know exactly what you're talking about when your gut says there's something majorly wrong here. That's where right. the fear comes from. You, you feel in this, this abyss of like, oh, crap, where to turn. So once again, you get emotional. You call your parent, your mother, then your father, then you're here. Okay, they're bringing up the wheelchair. We'll let you take it from there. Yeah. So she, the lady's coming out and she's kind of, she's, she, she doesn't have a urgency to her. And my sure. mom's like, get over here, get over here, right? Trying to get her. And then my parents, they place me in the wheelchair and they're like, they tell the lady, move out of the way. My mom pushes me into the, pushes me into the little emergency room. And luckily, uh, the doctor on staff, he had previously worked in a neurological clinic at a, at a larger regional hospital in Peoria, Illinois. So he had seen some of these cases before and he knew exactly what, you know, needed to be, ne- to be done. You know, the first step was to transfer me to a larger hospital where they had more resources. But in the meantime, it was, you know, helping me, you know, calm down a little bit. Um, but also, you know, you don't just have muscle paralysis. You also no longer have the ability to, you know, urinate. So you have to, you know, have a catheter placed inside of you and try to maintain and stabilize all of your bodily functions. So, you know, IVs were placed, catheters were put in, and it was, you know, it was very, uh, it was very difficult as a 15 year old boy to be lying naked on a table and all these people are putting things inside of you. And, you know, at that point, you still don't really know what's happening. Are you going to be okay? Is this a temporary thing? How close are you to the brink of like, you know, death might be dramatic, but at that point, you just don't really know what's happening and you can't move at all. So it's just, it's very strange. And you can't even feel the bed underneath you, which was also weird. 
uh, it's a very strange feeling to not be able to feel anything. It feels like you're floating, uh, complete numbness. So on that on that note, let's not say what was happening, but let's talk about. I mean, you were were you able to move your fingers, your arms, or everything? You were totally no. from chest down. Yep. So from the down. shoulders down, you know, okay. within an hour, it's, I mean, it didn't happen immediately. So from the time I couldn't stand up on the couch, you know, mm. maybe I could still move my arms a little bit, but the t- by the time I was in the hospital and then being transported, you know, they transported me in an ambulance and a stretcher and I could not move anything. I couldn't grab my mom's hand. I couldn't feel the stretcher beneath me. I could only move, you know, I could only move my head. Uh, and that was all I could do. Hey guys, I was going to break in and uh, share a story. Uh, this one's kind of a cool story because whenever me and Kel were speaking and he was telling me his story and we were collaborating with our life stories, our challenges, how we overcame things, the mental capacity, as I said, starting off the show. Whenever I was about 19, I moved to Austin. All you guys know that. But also what I did is I reached out to a guy. His name was Richard Shorts. And he basically was from Chicago. He had ridden his motorcycle all the way from Chicago to Austin in the 70s, whenever Austin was the cool kind of hippie, the cool kind of liberal, you know, there's very artistic and and everything. Well, he started selling jewelry on the drag there in Austin. Him and his buddy would get their motorcycle and they would make jewelry. But what they would also do is they'd turn that back wheel into a grinding stone. And uh, he showed me how to do it. And it was fascinating, the ingenuity. And he named his company and it was a metal smithing company. We did metal art. He is the reason I know and I love sitting in shops like this. He named his company called Mind Over Metal. I was fascinated. The first time I saw the classified in uh, the Austin American Statesman, it said, hey, come learn how to make your mind do some metal. And what he meant by that is we have the ingenuity in us. Our mind can come up with so much engineering and so much creativity and so much art. It is our pathway to freedoms unknown. And you look at Kel and how his mind had to be engineered, the ingenuity that he came up with on his own and where he took a stance as he was still paralyzed and knowing that basically his mind was going to be his pathway to freedom. When I was young and I met Richard, and he was a philosopher, <laughs> and he was very Socratic, but one thing he was, he was an artist, and he was a blacksmith, he was a metalsmith, And the things that he taught me, how you could actually use your mind to design and sculpture metal was fascinating. The tools that we used, we did not buy tools. If you know anything about metalsmithing and blacksmithing, you make most of your tools with fire and you make them with steel. You make them with metal, use hammers use clamps, you use vices, you use anvils, you use power hammers. There's so many tools that basically you can craft with the mentality first, the source of the seed of that tool is your mind over that metal. What does it need to do? Where do you find the leverage? What are you missing? Does the heat need to be a certain temperature? What is the temperature of yourself? What are your protections? 
You have your gloves. Every time you're touching metal, you don't touch metal with your raw hands. But what it is, it's mind over metal. If we can kind of look at our lives and take that philosophy of mind over metal, and we look at our challenges, such as Kel and such as myself that you guys saw last week, you can understand that our mind is the pathway to the freedom, yet unseen, unknown. It is our responsibilities to build our tools that best suit us. Each one of us is a special individual. Each one of us has a special path, a sacred journey that we're taking in this life. So if you can understand and kind of philosophize, <laughs> we used to say philosophize, if we can all as strong individuals, even if we're crippled, we can look at our life as a sacred journey that basically is no different than sculpting metal using all the tools that we can build, all the tools that we can leverage, the education that goes into that. In the morning, I would get into the shop there and it was off of 620 out there in Austin. It was out in the oak trees, con trees, but we worked outside. You always had heat. You always had a forge going. It was beautiful. But we always started the day with one spark. That's it. We used coal to uh, heat the metals. We used uh, propane, <laughs> Texas propane. But what we would do is we would start the day with one spark. We would burn wood. Uh, it was like a cookout every day. We would cook outside and we would begin to basically create a path that day, a journey, a sacred journey with that metal. But it started with the mind. It started with our tools. It started with one spark. The source of the seed of that day of our journey ahead, the sacred journey, was basically that first spark. So you look at Kel's story right now. You look at my journey that I had to take. There's so many similarities. What I'm able to do is actually reflect on these moments and times to where I can use the source of the seed of each day. What is that spark? What is the spark in you? Is it this video, this recording of Kel and I basically talking about overcoming life's obstacles within our own personal sacred journeys? Maybe it is. Maybe it's not, but I know one thing, mind over metal is a very powerful phrase. Nothing is too big, but what did we do in our lives is what is the source of the seed of our energy, of our nutrition? What is our fire? Well, our fire, of course, as you can tell within the beef initiative and with the Kell story, it's pure animal protein. It's beef. That sounds like a marketing plan sometimes, but I assure you it's not. The cow has been sacred for thousands of years. Understand our relationship with the cow, with the land. Use the land tool that the cow is. Use its sacred ability to basically allow us to begin to eat the earth again. This is something that people need to understand. We're framing a story. We're framing a way of life. Today, in my mind, I'm framing <laughs> How am I going to turn this lawnmower blade into a Texas Bowie knife? Well, it's going to take some ingenuity. I'm going to use my mind to make some metal into something that I see that will last a lifetime. It's going to be my legacy. Everything that I touch, I say, hey, how can I build a lifetime out of this? What is that spark? What is the source of the seed of my energy today? 
I hope this helps. Love you guys. Now let's get back to uh, a wonderful story. And uh, Kel is one hell of a young man. I really appreciate that he's coming to my life. Y'all enjoy. We'll see you on the flip side. Okay, so uh, here you are. You're basically paralyzed uh, yep. and you're not knowing anything. Thank goodness you did have somebody that was, you know, one thing I've seen in this country that we do have in our medical field, because <laughs> I've been a very good candidate, is reactionary, let's get you fixed up medicine as far as procedural mechanical stuff. Let's right. cut you open. Let's put some metal. Let's drill you back together. Let's, you know, fix a broken arm. Let's, you know, let's, uh, you know, you get a, a finger amputated. Let's sew it up. But, you know, they're very good as far as, you know, some type of mechanical things. And so you're pretty lucky. You saw a doctor. He was there. He actually said, hey, you know, I've seen this before. Let's get you going on, you know, the procedure, the protocol of, right. you know, getting you stabilized, let's say. So you're sitting on the gurney, you're all, you know, spread out, you know, and your your life is changing within an hour. And here we go. Right. And they they transport me to the larger hospital about two hours away in Peoria, Illinois. The first thing they do is they they rush me to the MRI because they need to see what's happening. Is it, you know, is it due to um, you know, a physical injury? Like is the, you know, is the spinal column pressing on the cord? causing the paralysis? Is it um, some in inflammatory condition? They needed to get a read on, on, the, on the status. So they do a full brain MRI, and then they do a full uh, spinal cord MRI. And that takes about three to four hours. So you're laying there completely by yourself. The MRI is ricketing, incredibly loud. And I grew up, uh, you know, my mom is Catholic. I grew up, you know, somewhat Catholic, right? I was a Christmas Catholic. I went to a Catholic school, but I always went to, you know, I always sure. went to church on Christmas. But in that moment, I, you know, I knew the rosary by heart because I went to Catholic school and I was just saying the rosary over and over and over again, because I just had, I had literally no idea. I was like, you know, if, if there is a, is there, if there is a life after this, I want to be a, you know, I want to be a candidate. I'm also scared you know, maybe there is a higher power that can, that can help me out in this moment. So that, that was the MRI scene. And that was very powerful when I look back from a, you know, when you're in those life or death moments, you, you I feel like you connect with a higher, a higher being because you just, you just don't know and you want someone to be there for you. Yeah, you really do. I mean, you you get very focused. You get you get a sense of clarity that usually we don't have in our daily lives, right? And right. that's one thing I always say is that, you know, whenever you have this devastating type of injury or, you know, health issue, that moment of clarity does come for a lot of people. And so in that moment, here we go. We're starting all over here. <laughs> you, yep. you get very real, very fast. And you start looking at your, your life, you start seeing things that you maybe pay, didn't pay attention to, you know, that intentional spirit comes to you really fast. It does. And you, yeah. you, you even, you know, you're willing to make compromises, agreements, you're making yep. deals, you know, you're doing, Hey man, here we go. I, I, if I, if I screwed up, I'm sorry, man, <laughs> I'm a good yep. guy. You know, you have all this negotiation that starts happening. Yeah. So, so so when the MRI finished, they put you back in your room. Um, and at that point, you know, I, 
I'm really thankful that I have such a strong family, not only just my parents, but also my, my grandparents, cousins. I think there were six or seven people that had all, you know, come and were there on that very first night. And, you know, it, but after the MRI, it's like one in the morning, two in the morning, right? So I, they're like, just get some sleep. The doctor will review your scans and we'll talk in the morning. But I had contacts in my eyes and I had no way of taking out contacts. So my cousin comes over and she just very gracefully takes them out. And um, it was just, you know, a very vulnerable moment as well, just completely, you know, letting someone take care of you. Um, and then, you know, that was day one and six o'clock the next morning, the doctor comes in. And at this point, you know, I, I'm not thinking that I'm going to die. I would mm-hmm. kind of gotten through that, uh, because I, I could feel internally, okay, I'm starting to calm down. I can't move at all, but I'm calmed down. Um, so it's six o'clock in the morning, the doctor comes in and I've transitioned to, okay, this is a temporary you know, a a temporary illness, like, okay, maybe a month or two here. And then I can go back and do basketball, maybe run cross country in the fall. Um, the doctor comes in and he says that, uh, it's a lot more serious, you know, of a, of an injury. Uh, it was, it was initially diagnosed as transverse myelitis. Transverse myelitis is essentially just inflammation of the spinal cord, but of no known cause. So it's kind of like a, if we don't know what it is and there's some inflammation, we're going to label it that uh, because we just don't know. So he labels it that. He tells me that, you know, there's some steroid infusions. There are some, you know, blood, blood transfers to try to get some of that inflammation out because you want to get the inflammation out so you can see what is really damaged and what is not, you know, what functions aren't lost but are being blocked by a ton of inflammation. Quick so question. You- does, yeah, go ahead. Do the, did he have a indication or an understanding that where if this type of injury and he's going to label it what he did, you can pronounce it better than me. But whenever he has that, you know, uh, understanding what's going on, does he have any understanding what causes the inflammation at this time at all? He does not know what caused the inflammation. He just knows it's present. And then he has a toolkit to address the inflammation. Okay. Let's talk so, about that toolkit. What did he What did he present as a as a toolkit? So he gave me uh, two different two different tools. One is called plasmapheresis. It's a it's a five or ten day course. I can't remember where each each day you're hooked up to a machine for you know five six seven hours, and it's pushing your blood through the machine and catching some of the inflammatory particles and then pushing the blood back into you. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like a, a cleansing mechanism. Sure. And then, and then at the same time, they're doing a course of anti-inflammatory steroids. All of this is intravenous. So the anti-inflammatory steroids is again to just bring down some of that inflammation and see what we're working with, you know, because the, the injury did cause scarring of the spinal cord and that scarring will, you know, create long lasting paralysis. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some of the inflammation that's in there in the beginning is just blocking some blocking functions that are fine. You just got to get you just got to get some of that inflammation down. So it was 10 days in that inpatient unit in the hospital. And he said, after that time, you know, the only thing we can do is physical therapy. There is no you know pill. There is no surgery. There is no infusion. 
that will, you know, rebuild the spinal cord, right? You have to physically work and see what happens. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no promise. There's no anything, you know, you could work really hard and nothing could happen. You could work really hard and you could regain function, but there is a timing element too. You know, the, the heart, you know, the harder you work in the beginning gives you a better chance rather than, you know, several years down the road sure. deciding to work hard because those nerves will start to die if they're not getting 100%. Yeah. stimulation and intervention. At this time, you know, because you'd, you'd been asked a thousand questions, of course, at this time, you know, do you do drugs? You know, da, 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 all this kind of stuff that they're going to ask you because they have to do a process of elimination, correct? Yep. Did they ever really ask you much about what you consumed, your nutritional guidelines, anything that you actually put into your body as far as a daily habit or lifestyle or anything? No. Nope. As far as food, anything like that? Not nothing nutrition about nutrition. Never, nothing, no. nothing was ever brought up. Nothing about nutrition, only, you know, the, the regulars, tobacco, alcohol, marijuana, right. that's it. But not, you know, are you eating seed oils every day, right? <laughs> just of course not. nothing about that. Just, yeah. just those three inputs. So, okay. You go into this 10 year, uh, 10 day protocol, basically yep. uh, it's every day you're doing, you know, the, the, you have the IVs in you, you're going through that after 10 days, what are you doing? You're also, are there, you're, when you say you have to work at it, what was the work that you were having to put in? So in the very beginning, the work was, can we get you out of a bed and not even can you sit up and move to a chair, but can we put a, you know, a, um, a sheet underneath you that is attached to a crane and rotate you to a bed without you being an incredible amount of pain and without you passing out from, you know, from your, from your blood pressure. Right. So that was, it was just getting, can we sit you up? And that was, you know, it's very beginning. It it was, it's almost like a, a baby. What does a baby do? A baby's lying flat. And slowly, you know, they're starting to roll over, sit up, stand up. It's, it's the same progression. It's starting from scratch, which my mindset at this time was like, I love, I love this. It, it, it was really, really hard, but it's a really, you know, it's a really interesting challenge to start completely from scratch and see sure. what you can make from it. So those first 10 days were really, can we get you in a chair without you passing out or screaming in pain? Um, and, and then, you know, so after those 10 days, they transfer you to a specialized hospital that focuses on spinal cord injury rehabilitation. So I was sent up to Chicago, Shriners Hospital uh, for Children, um, just outside of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And that program is a six-week inpatient program where they push you four to six hours per day from a range of physical therapy. So working on, you know, sitting up, uh, your, just your strength. So doing some arm exercises as well as occupational therapy. So can we get, can you dress yourself? Can you put on socks? Can you brush your teeth? So a bunch of skills from strength to actual life skills over that six week period, not a lot of, you know, not a lot of mental health, which, you know, I think is very important for, for, let's process some of these feelings. 
because yeah, that's that's exactly what I was going to go into. I was going to ask you, let's just back up and we'll get back there. Not to interrupt you, you know, we'll let you finish right there. But whenever you, you've gone through this, you know, how was your emotional state of mind? Because you were very active. You're, you know, you were somebody that really got up and you were living life as best as you knew how at that age. What was your emotional maturity and how was it affected during those times? You know, you said there was nobody in there really, you know, uh, speaking with you, except probably family and friends, of course, uh, as far as how are you doing? But from a perspective of your emotional state of mind, because that is hugely important at this point in time in your life, because you're going and you're probably thinking, this is my one last shot to get this right. And so... You know, that's that's uh, that's something that you really have to do. You have to get to the source of the seed of, you know, here we go. We're starting from ground zero again. And so you were probably feeling pretty empowered because you thought, but you also were probably feeling battling. I don't know. You tell us. Here we go. Yeah. So those six weeks when I was when I was doing so much working out, I felt at home. I felt like that's what I had done my entire life. It Yes, the setting and the environment is completely different. But I was waking up eight o'clock. I would go in. I would do, you know, some of my workouts. I would get on the different machines that they have. Like it, it was really strange. You would think that I would be, and there were moments in those first six weeks where I just felt completely lost from a sense of identity. You know, summer, summer basketball was happening. I saw my friends posting, tweeting about, oh, this game, how they did in that game. So that really did affect me. But those, the, the amount of work that I did over those six weeks, it felt like a, a, a summer boot camp. And I, mm-hmm. I really thrived and I loved it. Um, and there was also, you know, the hospital was for anywhere from a few months old to up to 18 years. So I was one of the oldest kids there. And there were a bunch of little kids there that looked at me. So I needed to be an example of work. I needed to show them. You know, I don't throw a fit. I don't cry. I come in. I do what my therapist tells me because I want, you know, I want to get better. So it was like a very, very powerful time. um, And I really liked it, you know, and as we'll talk about later going home, that's when all of the emotional, all of the, the mental health issues just really sprung up because I lost a community. I was no longer working the entire day. I was sitting by myself and I had to really think about where I was. And that can be really hard if you don't have someone really helping you work through those feelings. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it's an isolation, you know, it, it has its, you know, it has its benefits, but it also has its pitfalls. And that's something that you, you know, I call it the accountability mirror, you know, no matter how you got there, you know, it's time for accountability mirror time right. to where you really have to look at yourself you have to you look at your relationships you have to look at you know you're probably at this time people are you know they reach out in the beginning but people are fading away exactly you know, and, and you start seeing that you know isolation to where it really starts hitting your spirit you know that's what i always like to refer to because we all have spirit that spirit's not really being empowered anymore what it is it's being uh regulated in in, in a way that it's on based on survivorship instead of moving forward, really, at that time, I would guess. Yes. And I had a group of friends that came out every single weekend. And 
it was great because the weekends were very, very slow. There's no therapy. The therapists aren't there. So they would come out and they would support me and we would go out to a mall, right? And it would be a really tough, you know, really tough to transfer me in a car with a wheelchair, drive out to a mall, right? It was a big, you know, a big ordeal, but they were incredibly supportive. But I think, you know, as over time, you know, they, they were very athletic, they were very busy. And in those, you know, months following, I also wasn't the greatest person because, you know, I was hurt. So I was hurting other people and I probably pushed them away. And by pushing, you know, pushing people away, you just get more and more isolated, like you said. And it just, it does, it didn't help. And, you know, all of that outpouring of support in, be, in the beginning did give me the motivation. But like you said, it, it does fade as people get back to their own lives, as they have their own issues. And then you just kind of feel like everyone moved on from you and you're, you're just still here. But I did a part in pushing people away, you know, because I, I was really struggling myself. Well, sure. That, that comes natural. And, you know, that's something that you look at as far as I always say, Hey, you know, we say you need to wake up. Nobody's going to come save you. And, and that's whenever, you know, within my own food or my health scare that I had, is there comes a point in time in life where you do have that acceptance. Acceptance is the key that nobody's going to save me here. A lot of times it does take that level of maybe depression that you were going through, that, that, sense, of, that sense of loss that you were feeling, that you, you're yearning for something bigger now. You're yearning for progress. You're yearning for your spirit to be back. And so whenever that happens, you do get resentment. You know, you get and you do push away, you push people away because one thing you, you at, at times you probably feel a little guilty is like, guys, man, I'm really sorry you have to do this, have to come do right. this with me. And then, you know, it's just a it's a big old melting pot of BS is what happens. But, you know, we have to answer to it once again. And so here we are a couple months later. Let's let's go into what were you doing as far as your consumption at that time? Let's go audio, video, food consumption while you're sitting there trying to rehabilitate yourself into a young man so you can go live life. What was your consumption model? So nutrition was the same. You know, I, I was back home at that point after I, I left that inpatient setting. That would have been around mid-August of, of 2015. I go home. Uh, I'm, I'm still going up to Chicago a few days per week. Uh, doing outpatient therapy. So that's where they they provide you some rooms and you can still go and do therapy throughout the week. So I was still doing a little bit of mix of that. But from a nutrition standpoint, I was eating, you know, whatever my mom was making at home when we when we were at home. And then whatever Shriners was producing when I was up there. And, you know, my mom and I talk about the food and we think that was the biggest shortfall um, looking back and, you know, my post yesterday was kind of about that. Cause I was, I was going through my photos, trying to find photos of, of food that I was eating while I was in that really acute stage. And I just found like, you know, chicken strips and, and pudding cups. And I remember you could have any sugary drink you wanted, just open the cooler and take it. And it's yours. And, you know, meatless Fridays, like I put in that thread, they're like, oh, you know, today we're going to have our, our eggplant lasagna. And I just, you know, that, that was really difficult for me. But back then, I, you know, I, I didn't have all of the resources, the audio video that you're talking about now, where it's like, 
you know, that's not good. We, we need to be eating much better food if we're going to try to recover as much function as we can. You know, I wish I had all the resources I do now back then, but I don't. And um, I didn't back then. Uh, if I did, I probably would have, you know, been in a lot better place mentally and probably would have progressed a little bit more physically. Well, um, during this, and that goes to the question because I'm reflecting on what I experienced in the hospital, ICUs and all that, that did you ever talk to nutritionists there at the hospital at this point in time? Here you are, you're going into recovery, attempted recovery. You're getting protocols to, that you're supposed to do. You're putting hard work in, you're putting the proof of work. You're relying on a system to say, hey, I'm going to do my best. I expect you to do your best. And so that basically should have been presented to you. And I don't know, the nutritionist coming to talk to you saying, hey, let's look at what you're consuming. There was a nutritionist. I think she was more concerned about, you know, when, when people are full of drugs, they, they don't want to eat. So mm-hmm. I think she was, she was more so like, are you eating and maintaining weight and being able to support yourself through all of the physical activity that you're doing? I don't think she really... Um, you know, I don't have a lot of strong memories about those encounters, but I can imagine she just wanted to make sure I was eating and, you know, wasn't really concerned with what I was eating. Um, and she probably should have been, but you know, the food that she, that they were putting out spoke for itself, that they were okay with, you know, the chicken strips and the, and the mashed potatoes and, and the fried chicken, they they were okay with that. They just wanted people to eat, um, so I don't know that I, I wish someone sat me down and had these types of conversations, but it just didn't exist. Well, and I've got a somebody uh, actually gave me a quote today is like most people chase relief and comfort instead of the cure itself. Yes. Let's put that into perspective of what you're going through. You know, that's a lot of comfort food. But also they're the, the people that are in charge of that nutrition. They're not really basically pursuing that cure. They're just making sure that you get relief. And yes. what a understanding of what the the apparatus in which we have to function on when it comes to health. It seems like from our food to our medical, that's what exactly, you know, everybody that we do trust as patients or, you know, just as general, you know, citizens of the United States, that most people that we turn to, well, let's let's get some some relief. Right. And, and exactly. they're not really the the their their intention is not at the base level of that cure. So that's something that I saw that basically to me at that time when I, because they were doing the same thing on my dang table after I'd had 19 liters of fluid drained out of my abdomen, I was really getting very serious about, well, I'm not going to put anything in my body that's going to do that again to me. Okay, so let's get serious here. So I did have a deep discussion with the nutritionist and everything that came out of her mouth, very good intentions, not judging her. She was academically institute. She had her MBA or her master's in nutrition and everything. And every bit of what she told me was false and wrong. Yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to know some of this stuff at that time because, you know, I'd had years of where I did study nutrition and I did have a good consumption model. So at that time, I knew, I knew, I said, okay, nobody's going to come save me here. We're starting over. And yeah. so did you kind of have that now? Because you reflected on those pictures, <laughs> you know, you had the chicken tendies, you had the, the pudding cup there on your table yesterday. Did you have that type of understanding at that age or no. where you were? Okay. No. So, it, you know, when, when you talk about speaking with the nutritionist, like I didn't even put two and two together that potentially nutrition itself could have 
been a reason I was where I was at that point in my life, right? So when I was eating, you know, chicken strips or I was eating the pizza that they were serving, I didn't even I didn't even have the you know, knowledge or understanding that that potentially was the reason I was here. And it's potentially preventing me from, from progressing, uh, you know, physically, mentally, and emotionally. I, I, I didn't even, you know, I didn't even have that question to ask. I, I, I wasn't even sure. aware. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, how would you, right? You know, on that level. Yeah. So, okay, well, let's fast forward just a little bit. Don't want to discount yep. anything, but let's make this timely as far as, you know, you're going through your protocol of healing. You're, you know, you're yep. doing what you're supposed to do by the apparatuses and what you're in. So let's, let's do some progression. You know, okay. what, 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 once you're there, you're working towards a, a goal. You're working towards a destination. That destination is to be able to walk again, right? Yeah. That's what is that the goal you set? Was it just to walk again? Was it to run again? Was it to fly? What was it? Because we do, we make a lot of compromises. You know, like I said, we do a lot of negotiations. What was your, you know, what was your mountaintop at this time? It was definitely okay. It was, I think it was two pronged. So it was to walk, not necessarily because I I had an issue with with the wheelchair but because I wanted to be able to go upstairs and like, you know, be more independent with my movements. Um, so it really came from a, I want to be able to do more. And I, you know, some of the infrastructure, you know, within my house or even out in the community, it doesn't lend itself to a wheelchair. So I wanted to be able to participate more. If I wanted to go in a business that, you know, only had stairs, I wanted to be able to do that. So that was one part. The other part was just from an independent standpoint. It, my mom played a, you know, a vital role in my care from helping me dress, move around, uh, clean myself, all the hygiene. And as much as I love my mom, I wanted my independence back. Sure. So I wanted to be able to get up out of my bed by myself, dress myself, brush my teeth, take care of myself completely, cook for myself. And so a lot of my goals were Let's get some strength so that we can do these things. We're not going to be able to do them all at once, but let's work toward that. And also, you know, I was moving toward the college age and I knew I wanted to go to college. And I was like, do, do I want to bring my mom with me? Do I want to have someone have to look after me while I'm there? So that was a, that was a goal of mine because I, I wanted to go to college and just have a college experience, you know? Um, so th those were the two goals. It was walking, but it, it was really, I want to be, I want to go driving again, right? I want to drive. I want to go somewhere. I want to, I want to walk into some place, right? Just all of these little things that if, if you're not thinking about it, you take for granted. And I just wanted to do, I wanted to do those things again. Well, there's a lot of uh, humility. You're very humble and, you know, you're, you're asking of, you know, what's my next phase in life? So, you know, not too much ego wrapped into that. So I, I commend you there because a lot of people, you know, they, they feel sorry for themselves in a lot of ways. And, you know, they do make those negotiations, something that, you know, it does come from a false ego, but as you can, you know, as I see right now that, you know, a lot of humility built into that. So you had those goals and you're, you're, you're creating destinations. Uh, yep. You're saying, I'm going to be okay with this. This is what I'm going to strive for. Right. And 
I think my mom was, you know, when I turned 18, was applying to colleges. She's like, are you sure you want to go, you know, that far away? Are you, sh- you know, are you sure you're going to do this? And, um, you know, I've, I've always been one that if I'm, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So I was like, yes, mom, I can handle myself. You know, I'm, I'm going to be able to do this. And she was very supportive. I'm sure she had, you know, conversations with my dad where she was pretty freaked out. Like, you know, what happens if, you know, this goes wrong or that goes wrong and he's all the way out on the East coast and not just 15 minutes away. Right. So, you know, I, my mindset was, I want to, I want to be able to take care of myself and, and, um, you know, and also comfort my mom and let her know that I'm going to be okay. And if I'm not, I have the resources and I know who to escalate to and who to bring into the scene so that I can have my needs met. A lot um, of intentional, a lot of intentional behavior, a lot of thinking, a lot of planning. You're not randomly doing anything. You're putting all your intentionality that you can in this because you're going to make it work. Right. That's exactly right. Right. So, well, let me ask you a question uh, at this time. Okay. We're still eating the chicken tendies and the pudding cups and all that kind of stuff and sugary drinks. Let's go ahead and kind of jump forward and then we'll come back as far as if you did go to college or whatever. When did you... I don't know, have something said, well, I'm going to change, not my consumption. I'm just going to start looking. What was that moment? I know what it was for me as far as that. Well, I'm going to stop eating this way. I'm going to start eating this way. So I'll say the very, the, the lowest peak that I ever got to from a food and nutrition standpoint was the beginning of 2021, where I was really on the, um, the beyond meat and plant-based, you know, meat and produce. I, I had moved into an apartment that was right next to Whole Foods. And what does Whole Foods have? All of these plant-based, you know, plant-based alternatives. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, I could have this and this is, look at how healthy it is. It says 20 grams of protein, you know, that's really going to help. So you know, 2021, the beginning of that year, I, that was my consumption model. And I think I, so you were you know, going off, you were going off an idealistic uh, labeling process that Whole Foods does. They you know, it's it's very me. idealistic and it's, it, it paints the picture as being very healthy. Here you are, somebody that's trying to walk again, and you're going by exactly what you have in front of you. You have one of the best health food stores in, in the world. And basically, I, I was there in Austin when they were still on 9th and Lamar. And there was still a little building in there on supermarket. And so, you know, you're, you're trusting. Once again, you're trusting yes. something. You're putting intentional education in saying, I am going to make sure that I do and get the best consumption model that I can have at this time. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't make sense looking back is everything that I had done had been so I'm going to do the research. I'm going to make sure this is the best thing for me. But I walk into Whole Foods. I'm like, okay, you know, this is, this is the gold standard of, you know, grocery stores. Everything in here is probably going to be fine. And, you know, look at this packaging. Like it, it, it looks really good. There's like a smiling lady who is very excited about this, you know, corn patty. It, It has to be good. Like, Corn is good and, you know, protein is good. So let's, let's eat that. Right. So that was kind of my, I had, I'd been so research driven before, but this was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, corn and protein, 
And I failed to just turn it over and like ask myself, why are there 40 ingredients on here? I failed to do that. Well, because we're trusting people. I mean, we trust with the authority and we're told who the authority is. You know, the authority in the country, you know, on, on the top level is the FDA and the USDA. They're the authority. They have our best interests. That's what we're told. That's what we're conditioned to believe. That's what they're taught in the institutions, in the academics, in the schools, in the medical schools, everything. And so, you know, that's where we are. I mean, we can go way down that rabbit hole about labeling, you know, the the hijacking of our labeling, uh, the hijacking of, like you said, 40 different uh, basically chemicals in that food, you know, to make it to where it is supposedly got that 20 to 40 grams of protein. That is a vegetable protein, which is not really protein, but we'll right. save that for another time. But that, because we'll probably have several of these podcasts because we're just, we're creating a big outline right here. So people can kind of see where we are. So you're shopping at Whole Foods, you're, you know, you're consuming all the, the heart healthy, the things that are going to save the planet the things that, you know, I call it a cartoon world anymore. So you're, you're, you're living yep. in their cartoon, you're consuming their cartoon and here we go. You're still, I don't know, where are you with your, your, your element, with your physical limitations, with your mental, how are we doing? Yeah. So by, I think 27, 2017, 2018, I was, I was up and I was walking. Um, so now it wasn't, I couldn't go for a mile walk. Mm-hmm. I could probably walk into the grocery store and go maybe one or two aisles before, oh my gosh, I need to sit down or I'm going to fall over, you know, and over time that endurance and strength picked up where, you know, now I could probably walk a quarter of a half or a half mile and be like, okay, you know, that's probably a lot. That's probably enough, you know? Um, so by that point I, w- I was up, I was moving, I could, you know, do most things. And so, you know, but that, that year, that 2021, I was really involved with Beyond Meat, also the Oatly, the the oat milk. You know, I, I would go, I love my coffee. I would go to the, you know, coffee shops. No, 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 don't put the whole milk. I want the, I want the oat milk. I want the oat milk because it, it tastes good and it has a good consistency to it, you know? And it just, I was completely, I don't know, maybe captured is the right word, but I was like, this is, it's good for the planet and it's good for me, right? It's oats. It's oats, it's corn, it's, uh, you know, all of these, these are, these are good vegetables, but I, you know, I failed for the, the processing standpoint. And, you know, after, you know, a few months, I probably got, I was like, okay, that's probably a little weird. Should maybe go back to whole foods, but it wasn't until August of maybe August or July of this, this year. So five, six months ago where I was watching. I was at work. Um, I work at a investment bank, and I was listening to you on uh, Marty Bent's podcast. And it was for whatever reason I caught the lot. I think it was like a live rip, and I never watched live because I I'm usually pausing and going and doing something else. But for whatever reason, I was completely like, I was like engrossed. I was like, this is this is this is great information. This is exactly it was first principles thinking, right? It's whole foods from a local farmer rancher, locally sourced from the earth. You know, it it all made sense to me. And from that moment, I was like, okay, I can do better. I can be more intentional. And that's when I went to the farmer's market for the first time. And I had no idea what I was doing. 
I was like, eh, am I supposed to get, you know, what am I supposed to get here? You know, the first time I go, I go up to uh, Liberty Delight Farms. They had a stall there in uh, Reisterstown, Maryland. They had a stall and I go up and I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, can I have one ground beef and like one bacon? Because I just, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. You know, sure. I, I, I didn't really cook that much back then. I was like, okay, I'm going to okay. do this. You saying that right now, what was cooking to you? Microwave, you know, maybe, maybe a skillet, you know, or any, what would it be for, you know, you at that age? It was never, it was never microwavable meals. I never, I never did that. I always thought that was a little weird, but okay. it was just like, uh, you know, maybe just some spaghetti, you yeah. know, once, once or twice a week. And yeah. then. But, you know, there's there's Chipotle down there, too. So Chipotle is good because there's some chicken and there's some cheese. Right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go and I'll do the Chipotle a few times a week, too. Um, so that was my consumption model. You know, mm-hmm. 2022 was a combination of maybe some some tacos and some spaghetti that I made, which, you know, I, that's pretty good. I've I've enhanced that a little bit more by using, you know, locally sourced beef and some, you know, other other ingredients. But before that, it was okay. Let's, you know, chipotle is really good. Um, honey grow, which is like a pasta-based chicken thing. Okay, that's really good. It has like basil in it, so we're, we're probably good there. <laughs> so that first time you go to the farmers market and you have the the booth there and you get your bacon and you get your ground beef. Okay, how did you do? You, did you talk to them? Did you did you go up there and say, hey, you know, my name's Kel. This is you know something. You know, glad to meet you. Want to shake your hand? Tell me what you do and why you do it. I'd like to know more. I, I wish I was that. Uh, I wish I was that outgoing. And <laughs> don't, don't we time. all, right? Don't we all? Yeah. I was kind of <laughs> like don't, nobody ever does that, man. I'm, I'm trying to put. I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but not intentionally. It's just it's who we are. It's human behavior. Kind of oh, shy. Yeah. You don't know. You're kind of ignorant. You know. You're innocent. You know. It's nothing that you're being mean. But wow, what do you know? You know, especially with the younger generation, I call that, and I actually did a paper when I was working in telecommunications. I was cited to do one. It took me six months of research, and it was based on whenever we started texting. This is before mm-hmm. you were born. It was around 19, it was 2003, I believe. So, you know, you're probably about four or five. But yep. anyways, at that time, we knew that something was going on with email and texting, and uh, the telecommunications industry wanted to see, well, how can we exploit this new communications? Well, I came up and said, well, it's going to cause a division of interpersonal communication skills. And so, sure enough, here we are. We have generations that are underneath me. I'm not that old, but whatever. But what we do have is we have vision of young men in this country and young women and even people that are in their 30s now that there is a massive division of interpersonal communication skills and they do not know how to go up to a stranger and shake their hand and have a conversation. They do not know how to look them in the eye. So I always like to bring that up. Your first time, you were a little shy, but you did get your protein. You, you know, you, you did get whatever you were going to experiment with, with your cooking skills. So I'll let you go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, definitely the first time I shy go up, uh, uh, can I see the menu? You know, I, I didn't know what they had. I was like, Oh, can mm-hmm. I have some sausage maybe? You know what? I was like, what can I easily make? So that was the first, you know, the first couple of times she's very shy going up like, okay, I'll get a few pounds. 
when I look back, I'm like, what was I doing with only a few pounds of meat? Right. And, you know, now I go through like, oh my gosh, like 10, 10, 12 pounds of meat per week. It's, it's crazy. I, I do live with my girlfriend, so she does help a little bit, but mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely eating 75% of that. Um, but no, it's slowly built on itself. And, and as I listened to, to you more, the meat mafia guys more, I was like, okay, I want to do more here. You know, what does more look like? And one of the Sundays, so that, that farm comes to the Sundays, uh, farmer's market in Catonsville, Maryland. And one Sunday, it was about my sixth or seventh time. I would go every Sunday morning at nine o'clock. It was my sixth or seventh time and they weren't there. And I was like, uh, this is the only beef stand at this farmer's market. I was planning on getting my, you know, my beef patties my ground beef, my bacon, my sausages, my eggs for the entire week. Uh, what am I going to do now? So, you know, that week I settled for whole foods because I, you know, I, but I did go in and, um, I got, uh, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, Will, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bluff, uh, I go in and I, I had learned from, I think maybe you or somebody else just go straight to the beef counter. Don't go to the, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. they'll have some packages out for you, but go to the beef counter and talk to the people behind there and see what they have. And I saw, you know, the, uh, white oak pastures meat. I was like, I'm going to get that. I know, you know, I, I know that operation and, you know, a little bit through slim and what you guys have done. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get some bacon and I'll be fine for the week. But it taught me that I need to be even more intentional about sourcing my food if I'm going to do this. So I went online to the Liberty Delight Farm and I saw. Real quick, real quick though, real quick. Whenever you, when you showed up that day and they weren't there, you didn't have access. You didn't have market access to what you'd been used to getting. Yep. What did you feel like that day? You're like, what are you going to do? Right. So, yeah, I was, it's, you're lost in a way. It's like, I would like to bring it up. It's like, well, this is, this is an uncomfortable feeling that I'm feeling right now, you know, because I'm being very intentional. And that I want people to understand that this is something about human behavior right here is that a lot of people don't even have to feel that anymore because. You know, across the United States, we live in a food desert right now. Most of the United States is a food desert for most of our population. And that's something I, you know, I definitely researched this year, you know, 34,000 miles since, you know, the 1st of June. And that's just a small part of the last three years. It's, you know, over probably 100,000 miles at this time. But what people don't understand is that they don't feel the way you did that day because we have basically such a convenient mindset that the that we can we don't have to worry about that feeling that you felt and the reason we don't is because we've made food so cheap and so convenient and something that gives us a a a different type of rush or gratification than what basically we need to be feeling as far as you know our taste buds being hijacked uh the mental and the, the neurological things that happen when we're eating these highly processed foods and so if you show up and you can't have that market access to that pure food that you're trying to, you're like, oh shit. All right, here we go. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to find a better plan here. That's yeah. And it was such a strong feeling of, oh shit, that it, it, I immediately, you know, after Whole Foods, I immediately went home and I was like, 
what am I going to do differently? So this never happens again. And, you know, on their, on their website, I found out that they have a meat shop. Oh, you know, that's great. Open seven days a week. I can just drive out there. They said, you know, we just order a box. You can pick it up out there. We also have an, an entire store here that we sell, you know, uh, items or ingredients from other local producers. I'm like, excellent. I would have never have realized that if I, if I hadn't taken that next step. And like, we also do home delivery. So if for whatever reason, you don't want to come out here, we'll just ship it to your home. And I was like, you know, that's, that's a great option. But, you know, personally, I just, I love driving out there. Sure. So I, I'll probably never do that. Thank you for saying delivery. that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. It's a lifestyle, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it right. sure is. It's like, hey, I'm going to go out, what, Saturday mornings, I'm going to go and I'm going to exactly. go shake these people's hands. I'm going to make them just like family. I'm going to send them a Christmas card, but I'm going to make sure I'm going to go see them. I'm going to be, you know, this is part of my lifestyle. Instead of streaming Netflix on Saturday morning, what I'm going to do, I'm going to get my butt out of bed, whatever yep. it takes, and I'm going to go see them because I appreciate them and I respect them and I want them to know that. That's, That's how exactly I feel. right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's... Y- you get all of those benefits, but also you get to see their farming operation. Yes. So you get to see all of their cattle and you see, okay, yep. Every, every week they have rotated these cattle. They were here last week. Now they're here. Now they're down there. Right. So you, you get a good idea of who these people are, how they're raising their cattle. And that cattle is what you're going to be consuming. And that's going to be, you know, incredibly important for your health and productivity. So, and it's also just very, very calming when you, I just, I'll go and people who live out there, they probably think I'm a little weird. I like to just get off on the side of the road and just roll down the window and just watch. And I'll just do that for 15, 20 minutes because I'm in the middle of the city. I don't get any of that beautiful, you know, that's not weird, man. That's exactly where we came (laughs) from. That's, you know, that's the society we live in saying that's weird. Hell no. That's all I do growing up. That's all I do. I'm looking out this window. I see cows and grass right now. I think I'll get my truck after this and go roll down my window and smell it and breathe it in and just say, hell yeah, I'm on vacation. So, you know, that's what you're going for, right? You're going for a little peace of mind. You're going through a little intentionality here. You know, this is the lifestyle that so many people don't understand that it's right in front of them. And you go out there and you leave the city, you go out to Liberty and let's go back because I want to give them a big plug because what they're doing is they're helping you, you know, they're helping you. You want to help them. This is a mutual agreement that it's, there's no signed contracts. You're just saying, man, this is a value for value exchange. And so tell us about Liberty. Tell us about their operation and, you know, talk about the animal husbandry, the land, you know, stewardship, all of that. Yeah, so they're located in uh, Reisterstown, Maryland, which is about 20 minutes outside the city of Baltimore, uh, northwest of the city. And uh, they have, uh, I'm not sure how large the farm is. It it doesn't appear to be uh, very big, but they have uh, their cattle there. Um, And I believe they also have, um, they also have hogs. Mm -hmm. Um, So they have both of those, but they, they're, uh, the farm is so beautiful. It's, it's very hilly. So you have, um, beautiful pastures where the cattle will, you know, they'll graze and they lay, but it also goes down by like this little Creek so that, you know, the cattle can roam down in the forest and, you know, they can, they can eat, you know, whatever's in there. And it's, it's just so, so calming. Um, and then they have, 
you know, also on the farm right next to their house. They have their meat shop uh, where they'll sell, you know, local produce, uh, you know, milk, uh, sauces, stuff like that from people, you know, five, 10 miles down the road. They do that. And then on the weekends, there's a bunch of different farmers markets throughout the city, as you can imagine. And they will, uh, they'll go there. They have a team. They'll throw up a tent and they will, uh, they'll sell it to the public at, at those, uh, farmers markets. And, you know, the quality is incredible. The people are incredible. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I finally met, um, the wife of the farmer mm-hmm. and she, she told me it, I was at the farmer's market. Cause I, I pick up other things there. I was at the farmer's market. I was like, is this, this is your farm, right? She's like, yes. And she told me a little bit about that. And we shook each other's hands. And I said, thank you, because this is, this is what's fueling me. This is what I give to my, you know, my girlfriend who I love. So this is, this is very important to me. Um, and, you know, just thank you for all that you do. And I was really glad that I was able to share that moment with her. And, you know, I, I also told her that, you know, the lady who works out at the meat shop, uh, Veronica, you know, she's always been very helpful because, you know, I don't know everything about all the different cuts, but Veronica does. So, you know, I would ask her, I'm like, you know, what's the difference between this cut or that cut and how would you prepare it? And she would tell me, and she's just, she's transferring that knowledge to me and that understanding just, you know, so nicely. And I appreciate it so much. So it's just a great, it's, it feels like a community. It feels like a family, um, you know, to mm-hmm. a point as well. Of course it does. And, and because it's based on respect, it's, it's based on, you know, that value for value exchange. It's, it's not a marketing plan here, folks. And what Kel just said, as far as, you know, tasting and all that, kind of, this, this isn't a marketing plan. This behind me is not a marketing plan. Kel, not a marketing plan. What you are is real life, uh, you know, real life experience, real life behaviors. And basically in your mind, probably, and I won't put it in your mouth, but I think I will, is, is it saving your life and it's saving your spirit and it's saving, you know, a lot of things. And it's basically giving you a better destination in the future to pursue. Let's go back to there. We're okay. We're, we're eating uh, eggplant from freaking Whole Foods <laughs> lasagna. And then we switch <laughs> over, you know, we find Liberty. So, okay. Within me, I knew, I knew a lot about beef because that's how I was raised. You know, I come from agriculture and come from cotton panhandle USA. And so, you know, it was easy for me to know it's like bullshit. I'm just going to eat steak and that's all I'm going to do from here on out because I know how powerful I am or was. And, and so with you, though, did you see something shift in you whenever your consumption model changed to pure animal protein? It's as simple as that. It's so simple. It's complicated. Let us know what you felt. And what was it like? Whoa, hey, things are improving here. Yeah. So definitely. So there's so many different ways. So physically, I, I had a lot more energy. I wasn't eating, you know, some of the more processed things that will spike your blood sugar. And then you just, you know, you want to take a nap. If you're eating those, those, you know, that, that meat, that would just kind of keep your blood sugar constant, but give you the energy, then you can perform, you know, you know, it doesn't really matter what your job is, but you can really perform at a high, high level because you, you have the energy and you don't have, you know, you're not crashing all the time. So from that, you know, that standpoint, 
it's been really helpful because I'm also, you know, I, I work, you know, 40, 50 hours a week. I'm in a master's program and, you know, you need to be able to, I need to be able to do all of these things and I don't have time to just sleep all the time. So that's been really helpful. And, you know, also I'm, I, I love working out and I think, you know, doing a workout and then feeling yourself with a pound of ground beef, you know, lathered in butter and salt, you know, to me in my head, that's probably one of the best recovery foods that I can be eating. So, you know, my body recovers really well. I put on muscle and, you know, for a paralyzed man, that's pretty good. You know, my girlfriend says I'm looking a lot stronger and I'll take that. And, you know, I'm not, you know, some of those more processed foods, they also cause you just to just hold on to so much like watery weight and stuff like that. So, you know, when I, I think I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm six, two, six, three. Um, when I came home last time in May, I was around 175 pounds, which, you know, that's probably what someone should, maybe my height should be at. I, I don't know. You're but close. I, You're I, close to it right there. As yeah. I say, but you know, that's who's that coming from too? You know, yeah, you <laughs> know, find obesity in this nation too. So you know, we'll just say it is. You're in a good way. So you're doing good. Yeah. So I I came home this time, and I definitely I put on a lot more weight. I'm a lot leaner, and and I can tell I put on more weight visually, and also you know my mom, my girlfriend saying, oh, you look a lot stronger, and I'm doing you know you know uh, you know records in the gym as well but I, I'd come down 10 pounds. And I thought that was really interesting. And I think maybe it was just from flushing all of that, you know, garbage that kind of just sits on you. 100%, um, 100%. Yeah. So, so many, so many changes and the connection from all of this, I think is one of the major benefits. Just being able to connect with people, share stories like we're doing now. And it's just, it's unbelievable. It does so much for mental and emotional health. Um, just being in this community, talking to my, you know, talking to my farmer rancher, but also connecting on, on Twitter, having these conversations, it just, it does so much outside of the physical as well. Well, and that's what I like to tell people. Everybody says, what's the beef initiative? You know, what is the beef initiative? And I say, well, it's a lot of things. It's you, Kel, you know, it's relationship building is what it is. It's one of the most important power moves that we have in our society right now is building new and strong relationships. Once again, for the value value exchange that we all are yearning for in our lives, you know, from where you came from, the desperation, the depression, what it might have been to the level doesn't really matter. But where you from where you came from to where you are now, I can tell that you you have a lot of peace of mind. You can tell that you seem very empowered. Here you are, you, you were paralyzed at 15. I guess they called you a quadriplegic. Is that what they called yep. you? Okay. Yep. And now you are, you're going to master's program. You're working 40 to 50 hours a week. You're basically, uh, you're, you've simplified, simplified your consumption model into something that you designed, not through a marketing plan. And uh, do you think it, do you, did you think back then when you were 15 or whatever, 17, 18, whatever it is, did you think you would be here now? And what do you think it is that you, how, how are you going to move forward from here? Really? What is your goal? What is your destination from here? Because you've raised the bar and what you're doing is you're challenging a lot of people out there because there are no excuses. So what is your, what is your, you know, what is your new uh, destination? Yeah. 
you know, I, I'm not sure where I was, where I wanted to be at that age, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really glad that I'm here. And I feel like this is one of, one of the best outcomes. And I, you know, I think what you said, simplifying the, simplifying just a lot of things, the consumption model, but also, you know, saving as well, just taking some of my money, putting it into Bitcoin, moving on with my day, not mm-hmm. having to, you know, what is, what is, a what is Tesla doing today? And, and how is Elon Musk, you know, affecting Tesla stock or whatever, right? Like, you know how much energy and time that drained when I was, you know, I thought I could, I wasn't, I was never a day trader, but just like, oh, I want to invest in the next, you know, big thing. But now Mm -hmm. it's just so simple. It's like, okay, you know, all of these companies have collapsed. Yeah. Prices come down. They're giving me free sats. Like, that's great. You know? Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it's things like that, the food, the savings. All of that has been, uh, it's just, it's given me so much peace of mind. And I think that's, you, you, you probably picked up on that. I think, you know, moving forward, it's, I really want to start pushing out the message. And the, my message is mainly, I like the, I want to push, um, maybe not push. Push is kind of like, you know, maybe two in your face, but in educating. I think educating is a good word. Where I came home, perfect. Yes. Yeah, I came home, and I I had a really long conversation with a loved one um, in my family, and you know she's been wanting to lose some weight, and I'm like, great, you know everyone should should strive to be healthy, um, but you know unfortunately she got caught up in a you know a diet you know a dieting thing, and you know what are they what are they sending her like these they're sending her these bars, right? eat these bars twice per day and eat these smoothies. I'm like, uh, could I see that? Could I see that bar please? And I looked at it and what do you think was in it? What is the first, second, third ingredient? You know, oil, soybean oil, soy lechin. And they're like, this is, they're saying, this is how you get healthy. And I'm like, you know, I asked her, I was like, well, what happens after the, the, the four or five week program? You, you don't have a foundation. And you know, I, that's the educating I want to do is helping people come. And, you know, most people will understand it intuitively. You know, if I just eat whole foods, if I eat real foods from nature that are locally sourced, you know, these, the, the farmers, the ranchers, they're steward, stewarding the land. They're really treating it with respect. If you treat the land with respect and you treat nature with respect, it's going to treat you very well. So that's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, that's the message that I want to start pushing out. And I think the last thing, long-term goal. And I came across this, I stumbled into it when I was talking with my girlfriend and it was part of that thread yesterday. I, I have a very deep, maybe love or passion for helping kids who went through exactly what I went through. And I, you know, I studied neuroscience in college. I thought I was going to be a neurologist. I kind of like some of the curriculum stuff turned me off. I didn't really like a lot of it. And I probably didn't like it because it was like, let's shove drugs into people. Um, But what I really want to do is find a way to help those kids, not only with their physical recovery. I think, you know, there's a lot of good places that do physical recovery well. But the mental, emotional, and nutritional recovery, 
that I think is completely absent and not even for the kids too. the parents come in, the parents are kind of a mess too. And the parents need to be strong. The parents need mental and emotional services too, so that they can be there for their kids. And I think long-term, I would love to make a place where I could bring in, you know, some spinal cord injury kids, you know, maybe the five-year-old was in a car accident, has a spinal cord injury, is in a wheelchair, and I want to help him or her recover and just be, you know, a, a, an independent individual that can do good in, in the world. And I'm not sure how I'm going to make that happen quite yet, but I know, you know, I, I know I'm going to make it happen. Like I made a lot of other things happen. Well, yeah, exactly. What you do is, is one thing, Kels, you don't have to ask for permission. And that's one thing. And if you want to do it, you go out there and you step up and you, you stand strong or not at all. Stand tall or not at all is what I say. Right. And so you're standing tall these days, right? <laughs> you just said. Yep. Um, on that note, you know, don't, uh, you are the authority. You live through it. So what you do is you go out there and you design, you design a type of market access of education that those kids can have. You know, that's what you do. One of the biggest things we have going wrong right now within our health and within our food and in basically communications is all is we have a prohibition against true peer-to-peer uh, market access. Yes. And so that's what, you know, that, that's, that's one thing that's very strong about the beef initiative, because that's what I said, you know. What do I mean by go up and shake somebody's hand, you know, rancher's hand? It means create peer-to-peer communications. It's about sound money. You brought up Bitcoin. We'll do a Bitcoin thing later on down the line because you and I are going to have, we're going to do this again, but it's about sound money, sound food, sound communications for a sound future. So simple, it's complicated. How do you create market access to each one of those to where it is a peer-to-peer exchange? That's what we're looking for. That's what the Beef Initiative is all about. It's decentralizing your life to where you actually are the power behind the solutions that this world is looking for. We know the deceptions of the climate change. We know the deceptions of how they're using it. We know the deceptions based around meat consumption, the cow, the carbon hazard that has been classified, the war against meat, the war against good nutrition. We are going through a nutritional starvation in this country and our children need our help. You are the one that needs to do that now, Kel, so you don't have to ask for permission. And so everybody out there needs to understand if you have that desire, you know why you desire it. If you can answer why you desire what you desire, you can step up and you can counterpunch this crap that we're going through that you had to live through. So don't ever think that you are not the authority. So that's very important for everybody to hear today. I think everybody tries to you know, limit themselves. It's called rationalization and justification, which in the combination yes. of that is called malification. There's a huge malification going on in this country of why I didn't do what I didn't do or why I am a victim. You're not a victim. You don't look like a victim. And what you are is very empowering, Kel. So you keep on doing what you're doing. And, you know, we're going to have this conversation again, like I said, and any type of contribution that you want to give to the Beef Initiative, I want you to please give it. And you have a place on the Beef Initiative. Is it from your writing your threads or writing an article? Or let's get liberty. I don't even know if it's liberty in the, in, in the index of the Beef Initiative. Love to have them so people can have market access to their information. And then they can have a market access to a handshake. So that's what we're doing. We're changing the consumer demand. Everybody out right now, I'm looking at you in the eye. This problem is because of you and me and Kel, but now it's not about 
telling me, it's about everybody out there that they are validating the deceptions in which they know is happening within our food systems, their communication systems, with our money systems. And so you, the individual, is ready to change your consumer demand. You're going to say no more, just like Kel did, just like I did. Nothing's going to change. And you're going to sit there and you're going to parrot the fear porn. You're not going to edit yourself on the level that you need to as a strong, intentional, empowering, and sovereign individual. So that's why, Kel, one of the things that's fascinating about your story, it very much relates to my own story. So here I am, generations ahead of you, generations behind me. But guess what? We're living the same spirit these days. We have a lot of peace of mind and we have a lot of destinations that creating. So I hope that we can share those destinations. So, um, you know, like I said, we're going to run a little long on this one, but it's okay because this was a very... I was looking forward to this for about a week. So thank you for coming on. Let everybody know if you want to, how to reach out to you to say hi or, you know, create a, you know, communications with you, whatever you'd like to say. Sure. So the main place uh, is on Twitter uh, at Kale Hyder. So just my first and last name, I'll write, you know, threads there from time to time about, you know, going to the farmer's market, connecting with the local rancher, but also with, you know, plenty of stories about my past and my reflection on on my in- injury. I love sharing. I think it's really informative. And, you know, people can take different components of what I have said and apply it to their own life. So, yep, Twitter at, at Kel Hyder. And Kel, thank you perfect. so much for having me on here. Oh, you bet, man. Um, we're going to have you on more than once. So get ready. We're going to build. Forward to it. This is not a one-off thing. We build relationships, right? And so... You brought up a, a point, and I think, you know, thinking of your parents, well done, parents, as far as in Kel and giving them a great core belief system in which you do have one thing out there. Everybody, everybody goes, what can I do for the beef initiative? Well, time, talent, and treasure. But one thing you can do is share this podcast. If there's parents out there that are, maybe might have a child that is a quadriplegic, they're, they're looking for solutions. This is how it gets spread out. It gets spread out because once again, we're not a marketing plan. It's you, the consumer. It's you watching this. You're consuming this audio and video content. If you find it valuable, share it and, and help Kel grow his story, help him become the educator that he needs to become because that's what he's shooting for. So everybody plays a part in this. You're here for a reason. You're here basically to listen to Texas Slim and Kel Hyder today. So on that note, Kel, you are fantastic. Thank you so much. Keep it going. Let's, uh, it's only getting started, right? So only get started. All right, guys, folks, we love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Uh, we'll see you on the flip side and y'all, y'all have a great day. Hey guys, I hope you really enjoyed that fantastic story. Uh, a great journey that Kel has, uh, you know, taken the strength, the courage, uh, the truth that he's lived in, uh, what he had to engineer, the engineering, uh, the suffering was engineered upon him. He engineered his own suffering so he could go on that quest of, you know, joy in life, fulfillment, empowerment, sovereignty, everything that we know. Um, It's a fascinating journey and it's only gotten started. So thank you, Kel. And, uh, you know, one thing that we always remember what Kel and I just had was a value for value exchange. We are podcasting 2.0. We are value for value. We, uh, we love that you guys are starting to stream in. You're stacking and streaming sats. You're boosting us on Fountain uh, Podcasting 2.0. Go download the Fountain app. 
go and understand what this value for value exchange is. It's a decentralized way that you can give back. If you find these recordings valuable and get on the Fountain app, boost us, stream some sats. Uh, I want to give a shout out. I like to do this every week. Uh, man, we're getting some patterns here, some people coming back over and over again. So I'm going to start off with uh, Nomad Joe. Thank you, Nomad Joe. One, two, three, four. There you go. Whatever the amount, that's what we like. It doesn't really matter. It's value for value. We want to appreciate it. Um, Joel W., there you are again, 100 sats. Uh, <laughs> and we've got one of my best friends in, in this space is Bubba. He's on the road. Hey, Bubba, good shout out to you. Send us some music, okay? Watch this podcast and say, hey, this is a song that uh, this podcast reminded me of. You're good. You used to be a musician. You're still a musician. You're just not practicing. Maybe you are on the road. But Bubba, thank you. 20,000 sats. Here we go. We got um, Guy Smiley, man. He is on track. He's always there. He's always giving back. Guy Smiley, 1,000 sats. Thank you. Another 1,000 sats from Guy Smiley. Thank you again, uh, Jane Everett. You are becoming the number one booster here on I Am Texas Slam. Really do appreciate you. Uh, Jason Rick. Hey, Jason Rick, my good buddy, rancher. Guess what? He just gave me 100 sats. Jason, well, Jason, are you going to get a podcast? I heard something. I heard a rumor where you can start educating once a week. Hmm, what is it going to be called, Jason? Why don't you give us a shout out and kind of fill us in there. Need any help? Just ask the community. That's what we're here. It's about value for value exchange. Love you, Jason. We're getting ready for Tennessee. Don't forget. Uh, here we go. Mary Oscar, 100 sats. Thank you. Mary Oscar, 100 sats again. Thank you. Hey, guys, guess what? We're heading off to Tennessee. This is uh, today. Uh, for you to view this, it's probably Wednesday. It's uh, right around the 1st. I'm leaving tomorrow towards Austin. I'll be speaking Thursday in Austin at Austin Bitcoin Club. Come down, I believe, Mr. Safetyan and you know our friend Marty Bent. He'll be the, both of them will be headlining there at Austin Bitcoin Club. I'll be speaking um, and attending the big old bull sell there at Tubarsi Ranch on the second down in Lulu, Texas with old Clyde Summerlotti. I believe Cole Bolton, he can't be there because he's on the road. I believe he's team roping. So somewhere, I think he's in Arizona, Las Vegas, you know, those cowboys, they just drive all over across the nation. Speaking of all these cowboys and all this type of Western lifestyle, guess what? You know what? I got a new target and it's called the Professional Bull Riding Association. If you know me on Twitter, you've been seeing that I've been kind of, you know, posting a few of those bull rides. Some of them are successful. Some of them aren't. It's just like life. But you guys get in there. Come on, get ready. Professional Bull Riding Association, Professional Rodeo Association. Those guys need us. They need to understand what value for value exchange is. It's time to get some schedules posted. I'll be doing that soon in 2023. We got us a new target. We got a whole group of people out there that are just yearning to hear what we have to say. So you guys help out in the beef initiative. You guys know anybody in the rodeo association, bull riding, all that kind of tough crap cowboy stuff? Well, you get them in here, okay? And it's a collaboration, remember? This is a value for value exchange. You find it value, gives your time, talent, and treasure. We need you. Come to us. Sean at beefinitiative.com. That's how you support. Hey, if you need a rancher producer in your area and you're living in somewhere like Rhode Island, I know somebody that lives in Rhode Island, email us at support at beefinitiative.com. 
let us help out. Let us know where you are. We'll go find them for you. We've got a team of volunteers and all you volunteers, everybody that's involved in the beef initiative right now, Thanksgiving to you. A little bit late, but not really, because right now it's Friday and I got to get going because I'm going to go make me a knife. What are y'all going to do? I'm going to do a little mind over metal. It's time to start. Let's get that spark in life, guys. We're going to see you next week, Tennessee Beef Initiative. I almost forgot to tell you, Brooke Miller, president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, along with Sean Baker, going to be speaking at the Tennessee Micro Summit. Tickets down below, I believe. That's what they do on YouTube, isn't it? They point down low. There's a link down there. So let's get on that link and let's get busy. You guys go get to Tennessee, Texas to Tennessee tour times two, part two. Is just beginning. I am Texas Slam. <laughs>